Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me is a New York City-based actress, performer. She does basically everything at this point. And before recording this, she told me that she played nicely, nicely in her college production of this show. It's Gabriella Green. Gabriella, woo! Hey, thank you so much for having me. I need to hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> That was kind of a crazy, incredible experience. It was my senior year at Northwestern, and um, they announced that the winter musical is going to be Guys and Dolls. We're all excited, and we're all like, this is really cool. And they brought in a Chicago director whose name is Nick Bowling to direct it, and audition uh, listings go up, and there's a note on the Guys and Dolls information sheet about, like, this production is going to explore like the use of gender in the show and things are going to be like figured out by the cast and the director. I was like, I don't really know what any of this means. I audition and I end up getting called back and reading for almost every lead part. I read for Sarah and wow. Alade. Um, I read for Sky. I read for Big Julie and I think, the last character I read for was uh, Nicely Nicely Johnson. They had me go to the piano at the end of all of my callback stuff. And they were like, do you happen to know Fugue for Tin Horns? And I was like, of course I know Fugue for Tin Horns. And they're like, could you go over to the piano and work it out for a second? And I sang Fugue for Tin Horns in a bunch of different keys. The the accompanist just kept moving it around. It was like, is that better for you? So I did that and they were like, thank you. That's all we need to see. I was like, great. And then the next day, Castless went out and I was playing Nicely Nicely Johnson. So <laughs> it was crazy. Like me being a small, under five foot, dorky looking little woman would never <laughs> expect to play that part. But in hindsight, it kind of makes sense. It aesthetically and at its core... Nicely is a, a character who is the goofy kind of friend. And that, that's something I definitely identify with and I know I can do. So like, were you a woman? Did they play you as a woman? Were you a yeah. man or what? I was basically a, a woman, like kind of a, a butch woman who was wearing a suit and hanging out with as one of the guys. It was almost like an anybody's situation in West Side Story. That's so cool. And like, there was a couple other women that yeah. pant- it- were pants? Basically, the ensemble, for the most part, doubled. So, like, Hotbox Girls had a mixture of men and women, what? which was also really crazy because you had, like... The take back your mink. Yeah, you had men who would, like, they'd take off the gowns and there'd be men there, too. It was really cool. Were they, when they took off the gowns, were they all in slips or were the men in boxers? It was a mixture. So like a couple of the guys were (laughs) in like feminine undergarments and a couple of them were in boxers. And then a couple of women would be in boxers. Oh my God, this is fucking amazing. (laughs) It was genuinely, I mean, I can't say much about how it looked other than having seen the video. And I think it looks pretty cool, but to explore, it was really interesting and like, that is so amazing. Our, our no, Sky like, Masterson was a woman too. So um, Sarah and Sky was a little lesbian relationship, which was it, like a whole new meaning to Sarah. Like, she's like, I'll know when my love comes along and it's going to be a guy who's wearing, a, who's got his Brooks Brothers two pair of pants. And then in comes Sky, who's like this, she was this beautiful blonde girl. And like, it was, it was awesome. It was really cool. So, and like all, I'm trying to remember. So obviously we're talking about guys and dolls, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get oh, to yeah. the movie. Um, the movie came out in 1955. It was written by Joseph L. Mankiewicz and an uncredited writer of Ben Hecht based on the play by Joe Swirling and Abe Burroughs. Music and lyrics by Frank 
Lesser. Yeah, Lesser. <laughs> Great. Directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. And according to IMDb, in New York, a gambler is challenged to take a cold female missionary to Havana, but they fall for each other. And the bet has a hidden motive to finance a crap game. Okay, I don't really care about the movie right now. I want to hear more <laughs> about this production. Yeah. So all the reversed roles, mm-hmm. they weren't hiding. The, they ch- Did they switch all the pronouns? Yeah, they switched all the pronouns or like avoided the use when it was possible. Oh my God. Yeah, the, the main pronoun switches came from me. I was nicely, nicely. Um, Sky was a woman, and Big Julie, who's like the the mob boss, yes. was was also a woman. Um, it was very oh cool. Could you imagine you playing Big Julie? I know. <laughs> well, that was one thing that was really important to Nick, our director, is this idea that like the character with the highest status in all of those scenes was a woman. Um, Interesting. Someone who was like wielding this power in this respect. Which I thought was really interesting. And I meant more as like a, a sight gag. Yeah, that's the other thing. And <laughs> it, even when I was playing Nicely Nicely, the dude who played Nathan was also short and Benny was also on the shorter side. But there were some guys in the hot box who were like close to six feet and like lanky and lithe. And there's me looking like a little bean in a like a tailored suit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. Uh, is there a way that anyone could see Sit Down and Rock in the Boat? Yeah, there is a video of me on YouTube doing it. Okay, we'll plug it, we'll plug it later. Yeah. I just I, I actually wrote it down in my outline because I was like, you played nicely. Obviously, you get like one of the best songs, mm-hmm. if not the best song in the whole show. And I want to see it. And I know you can belt your face off, so. <laughs> yeah. I, that was maybe one of my favorite songs I've ever gotten to sing in a show. And it was awesome because thank, thank God for educational theater where we get to try kooky things like that. Because where in the real world am I going to get to um, play Nicely Nicely Johnson? Off, 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 off another off. country. Yeah, Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. (laughs) Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. Well, the way that you described it, I just thought that there was not enough women at first. I didn't realize it was the whole concept of the show. Yeah. Because in your in your program, were there would there have been enough men to play? Yeah, because Northwestern is a BA program. So we have about a hundred students per year. So there are 400 theater students total. Now that is a mixture. It's usually about half actors and half writers, directors, technicians, stage managers. So there would definitely have been enough people to cast it as a a very traditional production of Guys and Dolls. But Northwestern and Chicago has a, a reputation, I think, for really trying to push boundaries and be super experimental at least more than new york where you're worried more about a commercial theater except for some Aesthetic. off-broadway shows I've except for some, off-broadway yeah i've worked on some off-broadway shows where they didn't give a shit <laughs> yeah exactly those are sweeping generalizations but and especially because a lot of the theater in chicago especially musicals is this kind of non-union storefront type thing. It's it's a whole weird thing out there. There's not a ton of big union musicals. There's like two main theaters that do musicals because Steppenwolf and the Goodman do the occasional musical, but mostly they do plays. And then the Marriott and Drury Lane are kind of the places for musicals. And then there are smaller things like Porch Light and Writer's Theater stuff like that would that would those uh, smaller venues be like the quote-unquote off broadway of chicago yeah basically hmm. well what is your relationship to the movie then so i grew up loving that movie i watched it when i was young because when i was i think i was nine or ten i also did a production of guys and dolls in community <laughs> theater so that college production was technically my second time doing it. <gasps> I won't tell anyone. <laughs> when I was younger, I was General Cartwright, who was, I was like a missionary with three lines. It was great. <laughs> um, In the movie, is that the blonde woman that is? Maybe. I don't remember if she was blonde or not. 
She's like old and crotchety and she's like, you better get this mission. Oh, no, no, no. She's the one that comes in yeah. at the end and was like, we got to we gotta put butts in seats. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and when they when she hears about the, the crap game there, she's like, we're saving a bunch of souls who converted mm-hmm. this place. Score! <laughs> yeah, exactly. That one. So very different from Nicely Nicely, but still. Um... <laughs> different. But you're in the same scene together, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the, the two sides of Sit Down, You Rock, and the boat. The, the port and the aft ends of the boat <laughs> if you will <laughs> uh so did you know that this is based off of two short stories by damon runyon yeah i know that just because the the overture opening to the show is this runyon number land. called runyon land yeah and it pulls i think a lot of tropes and many moments from some of those short stories yeah uh, it just kind of puts us in that universe I think yeah. I read one of the stories prior to the show. The Idol Miss Sarah Brown? Yes, that one. I did a um, sort of a synopsis of Blood Pressure, and which is the other short story that it's based off of. And you can kind of get that that's what Nathan's story is sort of based off of. Mm-hmm. But like I'm saying based off as like a super light term. Yeah. <laughs> But like the idol Miss Sarah Brown is basically the story of Sky and Sarah Brown. Mm-hmm. So, bam, there we go. <laughs> but yeah. the the show I was reading premiered on Broadway in 1950 originally, and it ran for 1,200 performances and won five Tonys. Wow, we should all be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, and then it was brought to the West End in 1953, and then obviously has been revived millions of times in mm-hmm. different venues all over the world it's a great show i think i basically think it's a perfect musical in terms of construction and its writing and the characters like each character is so specific you know exactly who's an adelaide who adelaide is you know exactly who sarah is there's no kind of like wishy-washiness about any of them the music is incredible it's i it's one of my favorites so, okay, speaking of characters, all right, I wrote a bunch of questions while watching the movie because I've seen the movie a bunch of times. I honestly don't remember some of the songs from the movie. Yeah, I was like, looking at that list too. Like Adelaide, I do not remember it at all. I totally forgot they subbed out Bushel and a Peck for a different number in the movie. I couldn't find out why because Pet Me Papa isn't good in my opinion. Yeah. Plus... I was reading that, what's her name? Uh, Vivian Blaine, who plays Adelaide, Mm -hmm. originated the role on Broadway. Like there's... Oh, yeah. There were like a bunch of actors that originated the roles on Broadway that came onto the movie. I think like Big Julie and Nicely Nicely and Benny Mm -hmm. were also people from the original. That sounds right. But... um. What was the question I have? Oh, the question that I wanted to talk about is how old do you think these characters are supposed to be? Did they mention that in the script at all? Um, don't know what it says in the script. When I think of it, I think Sarah and Skye are somewhere in the like late 20s, early 30s range. And then uh, Nathan and Adelaide are, are probably in the late 40s-ish range. But that's just, I, the only thing I think is crucial about that is that Nathan and Adelaide are older than Sarah and Sky. Yeah, because watching the movie, I did see a little gray on our, <laughs> uh, on the chairman of the board. Yeah. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, obviously they were supposed to be engaged for 14 years. Yes. So it's been a while. It's been a while. It's just like, how long is a while? How well, much? <laughs> It's interesting because I was having this conversation um, with another friend who went to stage door, Colin Lemoyne. Um, We were talking about the Guys and Dolls movie and he posited that it would have been a stronger movie if Marlon Brando and Frank Sinatra switched parts. And so I have not been able to stop thinking about that. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because Frank Sinatra did want to play Sky Masterson and was mm-hmm. pissed when they cast uh, Marlon Brando, Brando yeah. who can't sing for shit. 
Exactly, because Sky is like the cool kind of crooner part, and then Nathan is like the actor. But I guess Brando didn't want to do the comedy or whatever. It was like, I want the the lead, the meat. But well, I think it was that. From what I was reading, I think Frank Sinatra was cast first. Mm. The way that they made it sound like, and then they cast Marlon Brando. So like tensions were high on the set between the two and it got so bad that it was like Camp Sinatra versus Camp Brando for what I read. But also they added Nathan to the song Guys and Dolls because they wanted to beef up Sinatra's part. And uh, Marlon Brando's songs were patched together from countless takes. (laughs) So that's not... So when you listen to his version of Luck Be a Lady, it's not one take. <laughs> it is not, definitely. And and it's just funny because that Guys and Dolls example, you put Nathan in there singing it and the whole song is about like what schmucks these guys are who fall for women. And then Nathan's calling himself a schmuck, basically. Yeah, it's very weird, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, like it. it's not so out of the realm of possibility that I'm like, this could never happen. It doesn't make sense. But it's still, I'm like, hmm, what a weird choice. Yeah, so this from the stage show, they cut five songs. We already talked about Bushel in the Pack. Mm-hmm. There was My Time of Day, which I don't know that yeah. one. I've never been in love before. That more, one's one of my favorites, I think. More I Cannot Wish You. And then my favorite song, Marry the Man Today. Yeah. Oh, those are those are five really strong songs. I mean, my time of day, I will say, is like the hardest freaking song to learn in that show. It's like basically it's just this weird jazz tune doesn't have like a repeating melody. It's almost like a a poem. Sky sings it when um, he and Sarah come back from Havana. So it's after If I Were a Bell before the end of the act. The that's when they re- they replaced a woman in love with that. Yeah. Oh, uh, so did they just basically cut all Sky songs and I then guess so. my favorite song that makes the most sense? Mm-hmm. Marry the man. Oh, it's it's weird to go from sit down, you're rocking the boat to the end of the show if you don't tie up those loose ends with Marry the Man Today. Yeah, because with Marry the Man Today, that scene, that's when they come up with the plan to marry their man Mm -hmm. obviously but like and change his ways tomorrow it's not so disjointed as it is in the movie because you know you have sarah leaves the mission after sit down your rock in the boat and then we just see her getting married and i'm just like this there's something there's missing it's missing (laughs) Mm -hmm. i need catharsis i I need to see them like make up and both of them could sing the shit out of it. It's not like it's a Marlon Brando song, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so interesting. I wonder. I really wonder about it. I wonder. Well, I was looking. I, I did a ton of research on this. There's a lot to talk. There's a lot that we could talk about, but that'll probably be like 17 hours. Um <laughs> Did you see uh, at the end credits, the Goldwyn girls? No, I didn't see that. So in the movie, there there were the Goldwyn girls. They are basically the hotbox dancers. Mm-hmm. They are a company of female dancers who were employed by Samuel Goodwin, who appeared in 14 films, mm-hmm. starting from a movie called Whoopi in 1930. <laughs> And this was, and this was their last film. And famous girls include, you know, little known names like Betty Grable and uh, oh yeah, yeah, Lucille Ball. Oh um, yeah, nobodies, nobodies. But it's interesting because, like, it seemed like an Esther Williams moment with all these women on stage, but obviously they are not in the water, like Esther mm-hmm. Williams famously was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was watching, looking at the choreography, especially for like Take Back Your Mink and Pet Me Papa. Oh God, I hate, <laughs> I hate saying it too. Yeah, um, it's so weird. And it's all Michael Kidd choreography. So he, you know, he's a bit, big name. He's a big mm-hmm. name. But I was just watching it and I was just like, these women can dance? 
Like, can, can they dance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're doing this weird movement that I was just like, I don't understand you, personally speaking. Well, in our production, in the, the Northwestern production I did, it was very interesting to watch. The, the choreography was pretty classic, like what you'd expect for that number, um, Bushel and a Peck. Okay. But it was interesting to see it be done on both, like, female-identified bodies and, and male bodies. Cool, because they move uh-huh. differently. They do this yeah. in choreography, but they... And we had some really excellent dancers, so that was cool to watch. But it, it just made you think about all of it. And and the the reason I think it works so well is because the people in this world of guys and dolls, at least in this like seedy underbelly gamblers and club dancers, they were they were basically the underbelly of New York City, the the counterculture. And it would make sense that the counterculture would include LGBTQ people and, and gender nonconforming people. It's sounding like the more that you talk about this, it's sounding like the Kit Kat Club from Cabaret. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good comparison. Your production of it was that. Yeah, not all, n- hardly any no. other. Well, yeah, but... yeah, yeah. But like, you know, speaking of the Hotbox Club, is it a strip joint? <laughs> An excellent question. I mean, I think that in our production, it definitely was. It was like, the, it wasn't a, a club you'd bring the family to, definitely. Or was it like a little more burlesque um, That's a good question. Because I mean, Take Back Your Mink is total burlesque. Right. And Bushel and a Peck, which is not in the movie, is so the antithesis of that. Like, it's so just kind of cutesy squeals on the farm. But they have like a little bit of innuendo. But it's not like, take back your mink drop dress. Take <laughs> back your... But then also Pet Me Papa, they were in bodysuits and they had the tail, the long ass tails that they mm-hmm. played with. And it was a little innuendo-y. Mm-hmm. That, but like, I don't know. I just didn't, I was watching it and I was just like, is this a burlesque club? Is it a strip joint? I mean, I, I wouldn't think- be surprised if they either answer. Yeah. At this point. I think the main thing that I guess we're supposed to to take away from it is just how much Adelaide would like to not be there, I guess. Or how much she just wants her life to change and she wants to be married. So a few episodes ago, I did, um, crap, what's that movie called? <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I feel like Adelaide and Audrey, not only do their names start with A's, but they mm-hmm. are kind of parallel with each other. Yeah. I mean, if you threw in somewhere that's green into this into this movie, I'd be like, yeah. I it makes total sense. Right? I think she's I think she's so like Audrey. I think she's also like charity and sweet charity in so many ways. Like just Ooh. a good heart and stuck in the wrong place. Stuck in the wrong place, yeah. And she's trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so speaking of Adelaide, actually, while we're while we're on her, the way that uh, Vivian Blaine talks, I can't tell if she's putting on an accent or not, but like, <laughs> is that actually like written into the stage version? I don't think it's written in. I think it's almost like a a, a collective consciousness thing. Like if you if you got someone who had never heard of Guys and Dolls and never seen any production, I don't know if they'd be doing that like, hey, kind of like New Yorker kid voice. All right, so we'll talk to babies. Yeah. Talk to the babies of the world. I think when it serves the character in our production, once again, they also had Sarah do like a pretty thick New York accent, which was in interesting. It, in the production that I did at Northwestern. Oh, yeah. Because I was just like, Sarah did not have a yeah. episode in this movie. <laughs> but um, that was kind of to be like, she is someone who is trying to really put herself in the community. And she doesn't want to have this distance. And she's like, I'm the, I'm the equivalent of your Disney princess missionary here. But the, the voice for Adelaide is a really interesting question. What do you think? I think it's something similar to Audrey and Little Shop, where... You have the person who originated do it, and that's mm-hmm. become what's widely known. So obviously, you don't want to deviate too far from that. Yeah. It's like how when you're doing Audrey, the, it's, 
is what it is. It's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, but you see like every person, every girl is up there trying to be Ellen Green. And I'm like, no one will be a better Ellen Green than Ellen Green. So. Right. And even her voice changed over the years when she did it again uh, in 2015. So like if, Ooh, I don't know if Vivian Blaine is still alive, but if she was, if she is still alive Mm -hmm. um, and she were to reprise her role today, I feel like she would sound different. Yeah, totally. So like, I get that you want to do the ditzy voice, but like, I don't think it works. I don't think it has to be that. And unless it's coming from you as the actor, like, unless that's really a part of you, it's, it's just weird. And it's, if it's something you're putting on. Like a mm. like a hat. Because like when you do Adelaide's lament, in other words, da 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 da, da you, like, you don't have to do the in other words. In other words, yeah. Yeah, you can uh, say you could say the words as they were. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk for a second about Sarah. Mm-hmm. You know, Miss Sarah, and I think I mentioned earlier I've seen this movie as a kid a bunch of times. It's my mom's and my sister's favorite movie and show and all that. Hmm. I am so impressed with Sarah in the in the Havana sequence because you know she gets white girl wasted. Yeah, she does. And then she fights people. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> what? And then I I liked this performance of If I Were Belle because she's still drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't do the Broadway thing where it was like, I'm on, I'm now singing. She yeah. she was still like singing, but like you could tell she's still a little like, oh, I'm a little drunk. <laughs> yeah. And the, the more close it is to that like loopy daydreamy kind of thing, I think the closer it is to reality because it's not like she turns into Ethel Merman and she's a star all of a sudden. It's that she's letting loose and she we know she's passionate. Because from the beginning of the show, she is like convinced that she can save all the sinners on the block. And she has all this conviction and really believes in what she's doing. So it, it makes sense to me that then she would get in a fight in Havana. And it makes sense that she has all these big feelings that she's just learning how to declare and how to express. And her time with Sky is what helps her express the parts of her that she doesn't think are socially acceptable at the beginning like all no is all about she's like i know i know the correct things to say here i know exactly what the good things for me to want are and like these are this is how i'll get it it's very methodical and then if i were a bell is this explosion of just pure want and her and she's like ask me these things i'm excited to answer them now i'm not reluctant to answer your questions I'll tell you all of the amazing things I'm feeling right now. She got drunk. She has euphoric um, emotions going on because of the fighting. So she's mm-hmm. like, tell me anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> and that's what I love about her. And I love when I see her played with someone by someone who leans into that strength and that excitement she has, because I think it's boring if you think of her as like the straight laced school marmy kind of almost Marion like the librarian. Got, like she's not Marion. Exactly. She's got, a, she's got a good arc now that I think about it. And after you talked about it, which is weird because I would consider her the lead female role mm-hmm. or co at least. Well, mm, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant because I want to do like a co-lead like both. It feels yeah. like, Feels like, like, it feels weird to call one of the couples more important than the other, basically. Right. And that was also the issue that Frank Sinatra had, was mm-hmm. that he felt that Nathan Detroit was lesser than Sky Masterson, which, to be fair, kind of is because Sky has more songs, but, like, Nathan is always on stage. <laughs> yeah, and, and Nathan's arc is the driving point of the show, because we start... And we know we're in this world of gambling right. and that the problem we're fixing is the crap game. And that and it's it's our contract with the audience because we know when they've figured out the crap game or like when that situation has come to a head, that's the end of our show. Um, yeah. So like come to the 1951 Tonys and 
the woman who played Sarah won feature actress. I was just like, mm, was that because it would be a guarantee that she won or, yeah, or did they feel that she was featured? Cause like, I don't. Yeah. The Tonys are so political in that sometimes I feel like they put people in categories. They think they can win more or they make a decision based on what other categories they're putting people in their show up for. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, because I think yeah. the I think the guy that won Best Actor was Sky, mm-hmm. and then Sarah won Featured Actress, and I was just like featured. <laughs> That's so interesting. It also won uh, Best Choreography, Best Director, and Best Musical. So those all make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, but one thing that doesn't make sense to me is the goddamn drink that they drink in Havana. <laughs> oh yeah, I never got it. Because I, 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 well, at first, you know, growing up, I thought it was, that was the name of the drink, Dolce de Leche. And then mm-hmm. I come to find out Dolce de Leche is actually like a caramel. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the literal translation, I guess, is like sweet milk. Yeah. So. Um, but I don't know why they're calling that. I've, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Mr. Abe Burroughs and uh, whoever the other guy was, but like, I don't know if they've ever been to Havana necessarily. Well, I mean, they do say, at least in the movie, Sky does say that they add the Cardi to it, Mm -hmm. but like, give it a real name. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And she's like, why do they do that? And he's like, if for a preservative, it's a preservative. She's like, this would be a wonderful way to get children to drink milk. And everybody laughs their butts off. So can I just <laughs> say that this movie, just this movie, the making of it, would make a great season of Feud. You know, like that Ryan Murphy show that he had did with Betty and Joan. Yeah, yeah. Because not only do you have Frank Sinatra versus uh, Marlon Brando going on, but then you have Marilyn Monroe versus Joseph Mankiewicz. Marilyn Monroe, I, I read, now take it with a grain of salt, because obviously stuff mm-hmm. on the internet can be lies. She expressed interest in playing Adelaide, but Joseph Mankiewicz did not want to work with her again, so he pretended not to get her messages. <laughs> wow, that's shady. I mean, I think she was definitely probably a hard person to work with, but I think her Adelaide would have been crazy. I would die to see that. Well, so they Monroe play Adelaide. They worked together on all about Eve. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but she has like the smallest of small parts in that. Yeah. Yeah. So something must've happened on that set. (laughs) I love those kind of backstage stories. It's why I loved like Fosse Verdon so much to know about the making of so many of my but on a positive note this movie does have best flowers in it do you know who best flowers is and it's okay if you don't no you should look into her she is according to her imdb she has 950 credits plus (sighs) to her name she is the most famous unknown person out there um in the golden age of Hollywood, so like when talkies were around, obviously, so the 30s to 60s, um, she was one of the few background extras that was used in all the films, basically. So Ooh, good for her. So she was a spec, and obviously, it's a you see her if you blink, you miss her kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um she apparently she was a spectator at the hot box club so she had uh she was in uh i believe in prior episodes that i've done she was in babes in toyland and i'm not oh yeah i don't know if she was in seven brides or seven brothers it seems like she would be but like i'd believe it (laughs) i believe it who else what else did i want to talk about i mean like she's amazing and i think i'll always bring her up whenever one of these movies come out that i talk about because like people need to know about her Mm -hmm. (laughs) you need to know about her (laughs) uh i those are some of the coolest people to read about besides like the stars and the the leads are really cool to read about but i like learning about people who are more like the little guy like me or like the actor 
who's who's still waiting for a break really well i don't think she was waiting for her break because a lot of her roles were obviously uncredited because she's um background but like she got paid Mm -hmm. and what a life to just yeah "Yeah, i was in everything really and i'm (laughs) totally content with it you know that one scene i was in nope good okay (laughs) (laughs) um what else was there oh oh i lost it uh (laughs) (laughs) uh for for this podcast did you just like recently rewatch the movie because there's something specific that i have to ask it's been it's been a few weeks i think since i've watched it okay so well i'll ask it and then we'll see what happens um so you know that scene where in the mission who who was that other character that you played general cartwright yeah so it's like when she comes mm-hmm. and then sky masterson's there she's and he's like i can guarantee you at least a dozen sinners in here and he is holding up the isaiah card where on the back he wrote his marker oh, yeah so he's holding it up and then you have arvide like literally in fr- a little in front of him mm-hmm. and then another uh, mission person like and all the other mission person people are around in front of sky so he's holding it up so the back it says the marker and i'm just like do the other people not see the <laughs> see the writing <laughs> i know little moments like that are those moments of suspending disbelief are so funny because like obviously later arvide kind of threatens <laughs> Uh, Mm -hmm. sky like saying like i'll run around town talking about how your marker is no good but i was just like you saw his mark you you saw it before yeah well that's that's also part of why they they cut it in the movie but he he has this song in the uh in the show called more i cannot wish you um which is a a gorgeous tune because he's supposed to be like uh, Sarah's fatherly figure. Yeah, it's like her grandfather or your uncle or something, something like that. Yeah, it's it's never clear if it's like biological or just kind of a a fatherly figure, like you said. But I think that it makes in the it makes for his arc in the movie is kind of like who is this man who's here? Where in the show you feel like yeah he has a vested interest in this thing between sky and sarah actually working out because he sees how happy it makes her right and obviously he's like you fuck with my daughter quote unquote daughter whatever mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna fuck with your kneecaps or whatever yeah <laughs> exactly so at the end of the movie i feel like they also glossed over this fact that nicely nicely is part of the mission there is a like dialogue or something that happens where he was like, I want to join you guys, right? In the show, in the stage version? Um, in the stage version, I don't think there is. I think the last scene after Marry the Man Today, all the gamblers are standing around and we don't know what they're standing around for. And then we find out it's for Nathan's wedding. Okay. Um, then the mission band comes out and Sky is at the back hitting the drum. And someone says something like, it's better than a crap game. And then it's either Nicely Nicely or Big Julie in the movie. I don't remember which. In the play, it's Big Julie stands up and is like, where's the crap game? And then the rest of the gamblers like pull him down like, no, no, we're done with that. We're done with that. It's a wedding day. It's a a happy day. Ha 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 ha. Or maybe it was Nicely. I don't remember whether it was Nicely Nicely or Big Julie. It was one of them. You but... only did it like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I, I no, she didn't. She didn't. I'm, 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 I'm totally it's, lying, guys. It was <laughs> almost two years ago now, but I'm thinking because I'm like, I definitely had a single line in that last scene or single like thing I had to do that I was trying not to forget. You know what I mean? When it when you're in a scene that is you and another person. It's so easy to remember everything. But if you're like in a giant group scene and you've got one weird line or interjection, I'm always like, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Oh, we've missed it. (laughs) (laughs) And it sucks when it's like in a song. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh boy. That happened um when I was doing chorus line. There's that section in the the number where they're learning one and it would everyone had like a single line like hat to the head, lead with one, the hips. One, two, shoulder out, the, singular yeah. sensation. Yeah. And we would someone would always forget one of the bits in it. We could never get through a single thing like Oh no. Everyone remembering all of their lines. Oh, That's college no. theater for you. <laughs> lunge (laughs) (laughs) Gabby do you want to is there anything you want to talk about with the movie before we get into sharp and flat section I will there there is one thing I do want to mention I want to talk about the costume designer Irene Sheriff Sheriff don't know how to pronounce her last name Uh, but according to her IMDb, she designed 28 movies, um, including little-known movies like Meet Me in St. Louis, The Kid <laughs> and I, um, a, a little indie film called West Side Story. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I maybe have heard of that one. And then, you know, just some schlock that never became, a, a, never had a following called Mommy Dearest. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, good for Irene. Come yeah. on. So, like, seeing this movie, I was just like, that makes sense. Seeing the, uh, like, what else she did. Because mm-hmm. it felt like she, you could see the hit, the same hand in West Side, at least. Yeah, I totally see that. Because, like, the Runyon Land costumes, man, that were then later brought back at the end. I was just like, these are banging costumes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole Runyon Land sequence is always so fun and so perfect for that show it sets you right in the world it's awesome all right well speaking of getting right in the world let's talk about sharp and flat okay (laughs) sharp flat all right so in this section we're gonna highlight some more moments and if we really liked them it's sharp and if we didn't like them it's flat Um, awesome do you have any sharps that you want to bring up for me, the biggest sharp of all is just the whole scene before Luck Be a Lady. I think it's so funny and so well written when they're like, oh. like, they're all like, I'm ready to go home. And Big Julie's like, nobody's going home until I <laughs> says so. I don't and know why. Dice. Yeah. I don't. And, and he's like, I remembered where the numbers are. They're like, these dice are blank. He's like, I remember, don't you trust me to know which numbers are on the dice? See, you got snake eyes right there. I see them with my eyes. Well, that's that's the thing. Big Julie has the best lines in the whole movie and show. It's so funny. So Big Julie, Big Sharp. Because what does he say um, to Brannigan? Like he's, I'm from East Cicero, Cicero, Illinois. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, so I also wrote down Big Julie because, like, fuck it, he has the best lines. The scene before Adelaide's Lament, like, Vivian Blaine is acting the shit out of everything. Mm-hmm. Like, she, like, ate the scenery and spit it out in Frank Sinatra's face, and I was so happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of, there were some moments where I was just like, all right, Adelaide, you're a little too much, but, like, Overall, Vivian Blaine was banging and mm-hmm. pretty awesome. I I want to highlight again Sarah in the Havana fight because it would have been too simple for her to be the damsel in distress. Yeah. And it was great. And it was unexpected. I forgot about that, too. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's, like, kicking ass and taking names. Like. Yeah. It starts with that one hussy and then it moves to a, she like hits men and women. And I'm like, yes. Indiscriminate. Yep. Do it. <laughs> and then um, this is just funny because I was laughing my ass off. I don't necessarily think it's a absolute like sharp, but it was just something that tickled me during the wedding. There's one gangster who stands behind big Julie that has a cigar in his mouth and he's chewing on it while walking down and i don't know what the character's name is who played that but watching the ending i was just like thank you sir 
Thank you that's, for this. That's a full, re- fully realized character there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any flats, like things mm. that you could live without? I mean, it's Obviously. shady to say Marlon Brando's singing, but... Nope, it's not shady. <laughs> See, here's the thing. With watching these movies, I'm, wa- I'm watching them with 2021 eyes. So mm-hmm. I wrote down guy- the song Guys and Dolls because I was just like, ooh, I don't really... This doesn't help or hurt the show at all. Yeah, it's just kind of there. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a show that, like, they're they're misogynistic men, so so funny um i also didn't like sarah's overly righteousness i get it that's supposed to be her but like yeah i feel like i i think that you avoid that by leaning into just how deeply personal the mission is for her but if you make her like which i think the movie does she's like oh i'm (laughs) i'm better than everyone here and that's why i want to help them which i get is maybe a an insidious backstory to missionary work maybe but i think that as the actor you have to play her so real and just because she's like intimidated slash afraid of slash disgusted by sky doesn't mean that she doesn't have like human needs and like also kind of want him to like her and respect her at the same time yeah i'm a person Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i also just wrote down how dare they cut Mary the Man today? Yes. How dare they cut so many of those songs? I'm gonna I'm gonna put a big flat on Pet Me Papa or whatever. Because uh, Bushel in a Peck. How do you cut Bushel in a Peck? Well, I was reading, and I don't know if it was Joseph Bankowitz or if it was uh, Samuel Goodwin. One of them was just like, I want a different song here. And they did it. <laughs> so upsetting. I love Bushel in a Peck. It didn't hurt or it didn't hurt the movie. It was just yeah. like, like, why did you change it though? Like, I, w- I will have to send you the chicken costumes from this production I did at Northwestern. Uh, they are the craziest like gold and blue ruffle, like crop top skirt <gasps> kind of things. Stop it. They're amazing. <laughs> you stop it right now. Okay. So I most, I ask a lot of my, actors this sometimes they have not been in the shows that we're covering but obviously you've played two roles in Mm -hmm. this in two different productions if you could pick any other character to play in a new production of it who would it be anyone any Mm -hmm. single person i mean i would cast you as big julie just for the sight guy (laughs) exactly i think and he's he's another one too sorry to interrupt your thought process no you got Here's another one, too, where, like Adelaide, I think because one person did it, did the voice that way, did that brusque, like, oh, yeah. I'm Big Julie, you know? Everyone's like, oh, my God. They're like, what do you think I am? A sucker, <laughs> I'm not leaving till I get my 10 Gs. Yeah, so I don't know if necessarily he has to have it, but, like, Hearing you do that line, I just, um, you're hired on my, on my production of it. Thank you. I think if I could pick anyone, I would love to be Adelaide or Sarah, but I think Sarah would be the one I'd pick because I think I'm so dissatisfied with so many portray- portrayals of her that I see. Like I have a very- So you want to give justice? Her. Yeah. I want to try it because I also, I, not that I think I'd be perfect, but I think it'd be hard and interesting and I'd have a lot of opinions about it. Hashtag justice for Sarah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I think, especially in the stage version, she has such gorgeous songs. Like, I've never been in love before is one of my favorite songs of all time. Love songs. But they had to cut that because uh sky can <laughs> yeah and you can't thing. you can't put them in that tight harmony up against each other that's just no. unfair no at least with all no they were singing separately like they never sing together <laughs> which is why brando can get away with going in the throng for all. <laughs> it's like not good <laughs> uh and speaking of songs are there any songs that you would like to add to your life's playlist it's interesting thinking of these because like I like to disassociate them from the visual. So like watching these movies, I'm like, okay, 
if I'm going to work or if I'm like on an airplane and I need to like zen out and be in a happy place, what what would I want to listen to? Gotta look up at that list of songs. I'll go first then. So mm-hmm. I've got four. I love the fugue for Tin Horns. I don't know who the third guy is. It's, so you've got nicely it's Benny usually and... nicely Benny and Rusty Charlie. Okay, so the Rusty Charlie in this, like, good for him. He he kept up with the other two. Yeah. I loved Adelaide's Lament. Don't come for me for that one. And yep. then Crapshooter's Ballet. I know it's not a song song, like there's no singing, but still, it was pretty, it's moving. And like, <laughs> you know, I may do a pirouette while walking down Fifth Avenue or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's gorgeous. And, and then, and then Sue Me. That was going to be what I was going to say. I think it's Sue Me and um, I think I've never been in love before if it's the stage version. Those are two of my favorites. And it's funny because those are the two uh, uh, couple duets. I'm going to add a fifth one because I'm surprised I didn't write it down. Sit down, you're rocking the boat. Oh, yeah. Obvious. Obvious. Obviously. The the classic 11 (laughs) o'clock. Now, for those of you who don't know what an 11 o'clock number is, Gabby, can you define what an 11 o'clock number is? Yeah. So in the times um, when theater normally would start at seven or eight, you'd get this like second to last musical number called the 11 o'clock number because it would happen around 11 o'clock. And it's normally like this big production number to help wake up the people who have maybe surreptitiously fallen asleep um, or it's like a big moving emotional ballad mac and maple is actually a good example for this because it has both kinds of 11 o'clock because you've got time heals everything which is like your weepy 11 o'clock and you've got tap your troubles away which comes right after it jesus <laughs> <laughs> but in this case sit down your rock in the boat is one of those like big in this case it's like a gospel revival kind of a big dance uh, number with everyone yeah Gets everyone hype and ready for the finale and then to go home. (laughs) And speaking of going home, we've come to the end of this. Gabby, where can people find you? Or Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter. I'm Gabriella Green. My handle is at Gabby Green with three E's. G-R-E-E-E-N. Two N's were taken. Two E's were taken. Rude. (laughs) And where can people find that... Uh, your version of sit down you're rocking the boat um so it's on my youtube channel which is gabriella green 26 all one word and it's also um you can get there through youtube or through my website gabriellagreen.net if you want to reach out to me uh you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com uh and i'm on facebook twitter and instagram at buttersongpod tell me your thoughts and feelings about guys and dolls i mean we can't be the only ones that are mixed about it. <laughs> you know, there's high highs and low lows. Uh, and then if you want to be part of the conversation for next episode, we'll be talking about the musical episode of Once Upon a Time titled The Song in Your Heart. I don't know how to seg- segment us out of here. Let's go battle some horses. Yeah, let's do it. I got the horse right here. (laughs) (laughs) Bye for now, guys. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.